0: Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. Welcome back to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. Things have been moving slowly here for now with the Write Publish and Shine podcast as I've been honoring my imperfectionism, a new word maybe I just coined, I'm not sure. (laughs) But while things have been quiet here behind the scenes, I'm cooking up something new for writers in 2023 and I'm opening up, as of this recording, registration for my membership community, Writerly Love, on an ongoing basis now. The price will be increasing in December, so if you've already been thinking of joining and missed our last enrollment period, you can join anytime now and you'll be set for the new year of writing in a community, getting lots of warm support and instruction, visiting guests and everything you need to motivate and get help to write your most luminous work. You can learn more and join at rachelthompson.co slash join. In this episode, it is my pleasure to bring in my colleague, Melly Walker, who facilitates that aforementioned community to talk about everything we learned by hosting a book club for writers. We talk about what worked, what didn't work as well, and go through each of the 17 books, yes, 17, we read since our book club launched, giving our take on their key offerings, So listen if you've been looking for books to support your writing practice, or maybe you're looking for a list of books to give another writer in your life, or if you've been wanting to read with a community of writers too and need some guidance to get started, this is the episode for you. You don't need to have a pen handy to jot down the 17 titles we cover. I've got you with the complete list and links to the books in the show notes for this episode, which are up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast. And this is episode number 62. So you can jump right to our show notes at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 62. Thank you so much, Melly Walker, for joining me today. Melly Walker is The community facilitator for our community, our Writerly Love membership community. And we're going to be talking about why we created a book club within the community so we can read books on writing with other writers or writing related books or books geared towards writers. We're going to go through all the books so you will understand the variety of books we read as well. And but we learned from that experience. We'll go through substantively with some of the books as well. But I do want to just start by saying welcome to you, Millie. Thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to talk about books. So when we started the book club, it was something that people in the community were really excited about. They're all writers. I should clarify who the people in the community are. So they're emerging writers by and large, or writers who are working towards their first book publication, maybe pretty close to their first book publication. A few, not as many, have already published a book and are maybe working on the next book. Is that fair to say? Is that the right profile of our writing community, Millie? Yeah, I think so. So why did we start the book club? I can't remember exactly where the idea came from, but we did start a book club. And I guess what were some of the reasons that we started it? The Main thing was just feeling, for me anyway, that I wanted to read more books about craft or books that people were talking about that were writing related, and I thought it would be interesting to read it with other writers, create a little accountability to actually do the reading, and be able to discuss the ideas in the books with other writers in a real concrete way.
1: Yeah, I remember that people were excited about the fact that we were starting book club As another feature of the programming in the community. And I sort of feel like 2020 ness was involved. That is when we started it. And so we were all online, I guess, a bit more and sort of connecting with each other. And this became another way to do that around writing.
0: Yeah, and wanting to read more books versus doom scrolling the news or whatever else was kind of pulling our attention way i think that was a good motivation for a lot of people too let's talk a bit about the purpose of reading craft books in our community although we will hear that we didn't just read craft books so i want to start by talking about the purpose of reading craft books in our community by actually starting with the couple of writers i follow or admire who say that they're against reading craft books including uh writer like Becky Tuck and Courtney Mom, who I read in her newsletter, and Becky Tuck, who came to speak to our membership community, people were asking, oh, well, what are some craft books that you recommend? (laughs) Because we're reading books in the club, and that she thought there's a lot to be said for not worrying too much about getting the craft stuff perfectly right and just sort of giving yourself over to your quirky interests and whatever they are. Her point being that there was so little time to read, so you might as well read Things that interest you that relate to what you're writing about versus books on the ins and outs of craft. So, reading craft books can become a should for writers. And I think I agree that we should always follow our passion. So, certainly, there's some of the books that we read in book club that I didn't complete reading because I wasn't feeling it. And I think we were encouraging that of writers who are readers in our community to follow the joy and the fun. I guess, what are your thoughts, Melly, on? the idea that you shouldn't be reading craft books necessarily. And then also, I guess, putting that up against our list because we didn't read only mechanical craft books.
1: I think that it's a good thing to remember that reading all the books about writing doesn't really replace the writing. And I guess I say that from my own personal experience. I grew up reading books as probably lots of writers did. I completed the summer reading list every year. And I liked getting those like stickers to read all the books. And I was a rule follower and that I would read the book from start to finish. Once I started a book, I would finish it. And I think that pointing out that sometimes we can get too fixated on following advice rather than practicing the art Mm -hmm. and playing. And also, I like the call to read what interests us and read things because we want to, rather than this list of books that we're told we're meant to read in order to be good writers. But if we haven't read a certain book, if we don't have elements of style on our shelf, then we, we aren't going to be successful in writing good work. I also like that if you're a fiction writer, a good novel can teach you just as much about craft as a craft book, I think, is my opinion. And a memoir, writing memoir myself. Like I just read What My Bones Know by Stephanie Fu. And I know you're reading that too, Rachel. And I guess I just mentioned that it's a really resonant book for me. And I learned a lot about writing memoir from that book, even though I'm not necessarily going to like list those points out. It's just sort of a knowing a knowing it when I see it kind of thing. We've been making everything optional in our book club. So we have, I guess we'll get into this sort of structure of it. But anyways, the point is, is that we invite people to participate without having read the book so that Mm -hmm. you're not kind of skulking into the book club, kind of going, oh, we made it to chapter four and treating it like a bit of a survey, almost allowing writers to decide whether that book is for them. So, yeah, I think that's a positive aspect of it to invite people to say to themselves, I'm not feeling this book. I don't have to finish this book giving yourself permission to leave something and say, thank you for that. But that's maybe not for me at this time. Even sometimes books come along at the right time and that really becomes meaningful. So if something is not resonating or if you're reading craft books out of a sense of obligation, I feel like is a restrictive place to be rather than a playful place to be.
0: So before starting the book club, I think You know, you just hear from so many writers who'd read Stephen King's on writing book and Mm -hmm. the harm that's done, I think, from the idea that, oh, writers write every day and Mm -hmm. that's what you have to do. And I don't know, I can't even remember if that was like his thesis and he said you must, but that's what people took away from it. That's not something that works for writers who are writing Difficult material. Sometimes they need to take breaks. Actually, and so it's okay not. It's just like a self preservation thing to be able to say I'm not going to write every day. That's just one example. But one of the things I liked about having the book club too is you know we were selective about the books we chose, and most of them we did resonate with. I think I did it anyway, and they weren't always so like cut and dry. That this is the way you should write. Mm-hmm. Times where they were, we were able to go, oh, well, you know, that's nice, but that doesn't work for me. There was something more permissive, I guess, to be able to do it in a community and discuss it and say, yeah, I'm taking this from that, but I'm not taking the other.
1: Yeah. I think having it be part of a group of people that already sort of know what the sort of vibe of the group is, a, a container of shared values of people that join the community and may have had experience working with one another or talking about writing together, it gives more permission to say when something doesn't work. And I think it occurs to me too, that not every book has everything in it. I mean, to follow a book on craft as though it's a sort of Bible, I think can be limiting. And I guess I'm obviously asserting myself as someone who's not necessarily going to follow the rules as much as I used to. So I guess take that with a grain of salt. But anyway, it just just occurs to me that not every book is perfect. And so it's okay to take some and leave some and to be able to do that in a group that agrees that disagreement is okay.
0: Yeah, I love that. Agrees with disagreement. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) And it's true. I think we have that trust where it's like, even though we come together in a community, we individually have our own style and our own way of approaching this thing called writing. We just all share this habit, this calling of becoming writers, but it doesn't mean that we do it all the same way precisely.
1: Yeah, there's no way to be a writer. It's like on the one hand, you want someone to say something in their book, like, tell me something, don't be safe, don't sit on the fence. But on the other hand, a kind of authoritarian or singular approach doesn't work
0: either. So we're going to introduce the books and talk about each of them that we read in the community and maybe mention it a little bit about our personal favorites as well. So I hope listeners take away from this a potential book list. If you're interested in reading some books related to craft, it's not all just craft though. As I mentioned, there's also ones related to platform building because we were as a community more focused on that for a while, which I think maybe we're stepping away from as all the platforms become more and more clearly toxic and harmful for people. But there was a time when we were looking at that more specifically as well. So this isn't in the order of reading necessarily, but maybe I will start with these first two books that actually relate more to how we workshop, which I think have for me been the most useful books as the workshop facilitator because we have a workshop within our community as well. And I know writers in our community have taken a lot away from these books because they were working on how they themselves approach workshop as they're in the workshop. So the first of those I'll mention is Craft in the Real World by Matthew Selesse's. The subtitle of that is Rethinking Fiction Writing and Workshopping. I'll mention that we're not all fiction writers in our community, but I use in my teaching and when I'm working with writers, the revision exercises in there, the thoughts on positionality. Like this book came in that expressed something that was not working in workshop for years and was uncomfortable in workshop, and it provided a way this book Reference and it's one of the two books that I'm mentioning both reference uh, Liz Lerman's workshop style that's used in theater and how they adapted it to use in workshop and now we ourselves have further adapted the adaptations of that and using it in workshop as well so I really can't emphasize enough how much I reference this book when it comes to working with other writers, but also writers who aren't even workshopping would benefit from it too because it has these great revision practices, these insights about how to do revision, which is not a bit of craft that is that common to find in books. I find often they're more focused on generating. So that was the one. And then the second one was the Anti-Racist Writing Workshop, How to Decolonize the Creative Classroom by Felicia Rose Chavez. This book, as well, really changed how I run writing workshop. And I think it was good to read it as a community too, and have like uncomfortable conversations. We are a community from different backgrounds, but definitely the majority of our members are white women like myself. And so to be able to see the possibility in workshop to be not just not racist, but anti-racist expressly, I think came across in that book very well it was one where we heard from at least one member anyway who thought well I'm not running a workshop so is this really the book for me but I think decentralizing workshop and making us all accountable to each other is really important it's like a value for me in terms of how I want to approach community too it's not just like with one authority but everyone becoming versed in how to make our spaces, not just more inclusive, but actively engage in changing dynamics and systems of oppression. And that book also talks about the Liz Lerman practice. I think I probably took more from that one in terms of how she has adapted it for the way that she runs workshop. And the main thing that might blow some writers' minds if you've been in traditional workshops for over the years, as I was, is the idea that the cone of silence that's supposed to fall upon the person who's writing is being workshopped. It reinforces similar things around power. And it was very helpful, as Felicia Rose Chavez said, for white men who needed to be told to be quiet because they were used to having their voices heard, but it can actually be very harmful for people who have been silenced. And I think it's really is important for writers to be able to communicate and speak up while their writing is being being workshopped. Do you have anything you wanted to add about those two books, Melly, because I feel like we will spend a little bit more time on them and a couple others because they're so central to the progress of our community, too, really. Yeah, I appreciate
1: both of those books for their impact on me personally as a writer and how I share my work with other people and thinking about privilege and power in that process in both cases and of the both of those books. And I really appreciate the impact that the books have had on our community. And like you said, on our workshop, I'm appreciating that there are books that pay attention to that because we uh, don't need to harm each other when we're making our art together. And I believe coming from theater, I believe in a more collaborative process than is sometimes presented in the literary world or in the writing world, because I think writing is seen as a practice we do by ourselves. However, I don't think we do anything alone. And so these books are pointing at power and privilege in in the dynamics of workshop and sharing writing and also call upon each of us to to think about how we impact other people's art. And yeah, I'm coming from theatre, asking questions as a way of responding to work is something I feel like is more characteristic of the theatre process, the collaborative nature of theatre. I appreciate the critical response process, the Liz Lerman critical response process being part of those books, but also both of those books being published rather recently I think it is also a strength of them because they're taking that thought, those theories, and making them applicable for a wider range of people or people that haven't always had a voice in the workshop space.
0: A little bit of context to that, although we were going to get onto the books, but it's like every person of color, every Indigenous or Black person that I've spoken to about their experience workshopping has had a negative, dehumanizing, Terrible experience historically, I would say. I mean, maybe it's not, it's everyone who I've actually had that conversation with. So maybe it's not every single person, but it just goes beyond that. Let's put it that way. So we're going to talk about a few more books that we read. Are you going to do the next two, Melly? So
1: we also read Appropriate by Paisley Rectal. I think the standout comments from readers in our community on that book Was they appreciated the letter writing form of the book? The author is writing to a student about the question of appropriation and writing about the other or others. And we sort of appreciated the depth that that one author was giving to the topic and the reflection, the self reflection that you see sort of a writing instructor doing, a writer doing in relationship to the one student, even though I think the student is meant to represent perhaps many students. And then comparing that to inappropriate, in which we really appreciated, I noticed in our group as we were looking at that book, we appreciated that there was a spectrum of voices because it's an interview style book. So we're hearing from a bunch of different writers and their view on appropriation and in writing about others and the other We didn't read them back to back, but we had read appropriate and then we read inappropriate at some time later. And that was a great comparison to see how that conversation can be had with multiple voices and also sort of one reflective voice.
0: And both of those books, I think what I appreciated was myself and other writers going into them going, oh, great. Now I'm going to get the step-by-step guide how not to appropriate someone else's voice. (laughs) And both of them were like, no, you're not going to get the step-by-step guide. It's way more nuanced and you're going to have to think it through, make mistakes and figure it out yourself. But here are some great insights and thinking tools that you can use as you're writing. These last four books
1: that we've mentioned, Inappropriate, Appropriate, Craft in the Real World, Anti-Racist Writing Workshop, are the kind of books that have a longer effect than the conversations that we had. So we would have, you know, an hour-long conversation, or we would talk on online about the books for such deep and important topics. It sort of needs to be seen as this is us beginning this conversation as a community in a way And we all kind of agree that this is important and we want to keep having these conversations. So it's a sort of slow effect, I think, because as you mentioned, with majority white writers in our group, sometimes our ability to comment on these topics is limited. But at the same time, we we must be having these conversations so that we aren't doing harm and we aren't inappropriately using our power in workshop situations and that we can be supportive. Because I do think, as you say, folks sometimes want to know how to avoid doing the harm in an instructive way when really it requires constant self-reflection and uh, continuous work. And I think these books give us options and a way in to our own self-reflection.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate what you say about it long-lasting I think these books we've kind of front-ended and this isn't really in the order that we read them or any other order maybe than impact of these first books and the next two are no different too these are really impactful ones too and and I guess notice too we haven't really got into with the exception I guess of craft in the real world we haven't really talked about craft books per se they're books about thinking about writing and approaching the workshop of writing and some of the ethical conditions that we need to address as writers. Do you yes. want to introduce the next one? I know it's a favorite of both of ours, but I think you're the best equipped to talk about it too. We read Body Work: The
1: Radical Power of Personal Narrative by Melissa Peebos. And there was really rich conversations that came out of this book in our live conversation. And we had an enthusiastic couple of readers who really poured over the content and looked through these essays. You know, they're very comforting and invigorating. They tell truths. And the author tells us, as she tells her students, we are writing the history that we couldn't find in any other book. We are telling the stories that no one else can tell. And we are giving this proof of our survival to each other. That's the end of the Melissa Phoebus quote there. The essays in this book can be found online, so that was also a good inroad to give people an option to read an essay online first and see if they wanted to participate in the book club. It's a very good audio book.
0: And that one had some writing exercises too, which we're going to talk about too, that we found was something that helped writers stay engaged in book club too, is the practice of writing that can come from some of the books, like the assignments I guess if you want to call them that in that one there was one that she had you write over and over and over again and we did that in separate guided writing session as well too related to your sexual history I think it was like your sexual biography I think something Mm -hmm. like that am I right yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and writing it again and again was really interesting I think to be like okay how do I write this in a new way like the idea of just doing that with any kind of writing, but that in particular, I think is really challenging in a good way for writers. I'm noticing
1: that books written by writing teachers or writing professors, instructors are really rich because we feel like we're sort of hearing from the students that they've taught to. So when they present a writing exercise or a prompt, and in, I think in this case, Melissa Phebos does describe this as a prompt I've given to my students. And talks about the impact of that on the students. And so it's almost like we sort of are like, oh, okay, like other people have experienced this prompt. Let me try this too. And often, you know, if I'm reading craft books and there are prompts, sometimes I just kind of race past them. I'll go, oh, I want to try that later. But being able to try the prompts out together in a group is really nice. Uh, It gives time and space for that and gives you the time to slow down and actually try something out rather than. Forgetting about them by the time you close the book. I think I just always have good intentions of returning to prompts and I don't always. So that's been a really a strength of some of the books that have prompts that really resonate with folks across multiple genres, too. Bodywork is about personal narrative, but I think it did resonate with fiction writers and poets as well. And I think that's also another strong feature of books, if they can speak to writers writing different things in different tones and genres, that really seems to make a difference.
0: So true. And our current book in book club, our last book of 2022, do you want to introduce that one? You just had the book club conversation for yesterday as well. Yeah, we just finished Never Say You Can't Survive by Charlie
1: Jane Anders. Well, title is Never Say You Can't Survive, How to Get Through Hard Times by Making Up Stories. And I loved this book. I think similar to body work, this book's author also tells us to write the book that only you could have written. And again, I'll say that this is a book about writing fiction for the most part. It has generative exercises for writing fiction, science fiction specifically. It talks about world building and things like that. And the author is a novelist, a science fiction writer, but also a journalist. And it did have appeal. There was a memoir, CNF writer in our group and myself included, and we were both resonating with the exercises and the themes of the book. So again, a book that might focus on a particular genre so speak, can really speak to people writing outside that genre. And I think that makes a really good craft book. is published in 2022. So it recognizes on the book jacket that, quote, the world is on fire. So tell your story. And I think that there's something comforting about a craft book written more recently. Yeah, there's great prompts throughout the book. And we tried them out in our calls and our live calls and
0: really enjoyed them. That is one of a couple of the books that I've Listen to an audio format, which feels so, it felt weird anyway, at first to do for craft books, because it feels like you should have a pen and, you know, sit down and study this book or something at the same time. But it's one anyway, that's read by the author. And I really appreciated hearing things in the author's voice. It's very encouraging as a book too, and talking, like you, you said, about the world being on fire and just really affirming of, you know, you've got to Like you said, similar to bodywork of being like, you have the right to tell your story and you can, in this case, create the worlds that you want to live in through your writing. So the next book that we'll mention was also more recently published. It's Swim in the Pond in the Rain by George Saunders, published in 2021. Reading this book, I don't know if it was because we read it in January of this year or it was just something different. It's a book that looks at the masters. Actually, I think I didn't give the correct subtitle to, which is "Swim in the Pond in a Pond in the Rain," in which four Russians give a master class on writing, reading, and life. I was one of the people who was very excited about this book, and again, it's it sort of focused on fiction. And as someone who is writing memoir as well, I think there is something that we can always learn across the genres. But this is another book that made it easy to apply it to all writing because it really is about what it means to be human and exploring why stories matter to us, how they work, unpacking how they work. There's a phrase from this that I understand, actually, one of our members has taken courses directly with George Saunders. And this is some of his teaching, again, a writing teacher who talks often about narrative purpose. What is the narrative purpose of this? And I I really appreciated seeing that in each of the stories to understand another phrase, pattern escalation. So sort of how things change throughout the story and why you want to repeat those things and why they need to still kind of all be pointing in the same direction toward the same thing. Those are concepts that I've really taken from the book and really delighted in. And actually another one that I listened to in audio and then I read in hardcover too. And the audio book has the bonus of having some really celebrated readers. So people from Hollywood television. (laughs) So that was kind of uh, nice to hear Wayne Wilson read uh, one of the stories anyway, was a particular highlight is kind of a fun thing to do when you're reading such a supposedly serious book of literary criticism?
1: Yeah, people got really excited about the literary criticism. It was almost like a George Sanders fan club around the community for a little bit. And there was excitement for the practice of literary criticism. People talked about wanting to continue it maybe outside of book club or as like a book club add-on in terms of looking at other authors you know, that maybe are a bit more contemporary or more diverse uh, in their backgrounds and how that would be exciting to do that practice. And yeah, a lot of love for the substack of the George Saunders. Yeah. Maybe it was a winter, a good winter book with all that snow in those settings of those stories or something about it was very like cozy and, and intellectually stimulating too. So the next book was The Art of Slow Writing, Reflections on Time, Craft, and Creativity by Louise DeSalvo. It was just about the writing practice, about the practice of a sort of a meditative book on writing process, on the sort of writing life, on work habits, getting deeper into the creative process, an antidote for like writing fast and getting it done at all costs. Readers really appreciated the permission to slow down and take as long as it takes with the work. And I remember another really impactful piece of this book was readers commenting on how the author helped delineate the different selves we need to inhabit as writers. So again, a book about habits and differentiating the different types and roles within ourselves that we need to make use of in order to write and also manage the writing, I guess. I just kept thinking of it like a warm bath, like just kind of like slow down. I think we read it in December. So it was a nice like wintery book or sort of slowing down seasonal, like becoming more empathetic and patient with ourselves and how long sometimes it takes to complete the things we want to complete or to be looking at the practice of writing as kind of a long game rather than a production line or, you know, an engine or something like that.
0: Yeah. I remember one writer in particular, really taking that away, like, okay, it's okay. I can go at my own pace and my pace is not as fast as I thought it should be, but that's okay. And a great outcome of reading that book is a writer feeling confident in their own practice. So the next book um, we're going to talk about is a book, very dear to my heart. is one that I read years before, and I know the author as an instructor, Betsy Warland. The book is Breathing the Page, Reading the Act of Writing. And in the book, it has many concepts that I often refer to. It's really interesting in the structure of the book too. It's got sort of interstitial moments too, just conversations between Betsy and other writers, little interviews, things like that. It's also, when I'm on the book page, it says it's was 12 years in the making, and I do remember its making too, so that's kind of exciting. But, you know, my personal bias aside, I've definitely shared this with a lot of writers, and a lot have found it very helpful. It is that rare book on revision too, as I mentioned, you know, craft in the real world, having revision practices. And it's not, at least in my reading, it's not as common to find those revision books that really help. I think the key concept for me, I mean, there are so many, but one of them is the idea of scaffolding. And as a literary magazine, editor, I see scaffolding a lot in writing that gets sent in. So those are early drafts of writing that maybe needed the scaffolding taken away. Those things that helped you, the writer, enter the story, enter a narrative, but then they can kind of fall away and the story itself is is underneath that scaffolding. And then the other one that I often think about too, is the coma story and the comma story. Betsy Worland puts it. And it's just a clever way, I think, to talk about it. But I think about it in terms of, so for her, the coma story is a story that you continue to tell almost in a trance, in a very kind of locked in way. And the comma story is an opportunity to put a comma after that story and continue telling it and find that kind of deeper significance of the story beyond what becomes almost a kind of superficial repetition or almost like a thoughtless trance-like reciting of a story when you need to get into all the things that we picked out from A Swim in the Pond in the Rain to the narrative purpose, the pattern escalation, all of those tools of narrative that will help you get to deeper truths in your writing instead of what becomes kind of like phoning it in almost. And I recognize that in my own writing. So then I really appreciate being able to have that language go, oh, This is a coma story. Time to get out the comma and work on it a bit more. I think
1: the great thing about this book was it felt like learning about where your writing values come from a little bit because you had worked with Betsy Worland and it felt like we were learning about your writing lineage in a way as the person who facilitates and hosts our community. So, I really liked it for that aspect of it. I think it's really beautiful to acknowledge sort of lineage and who our writing ancestors are. And so I think this book was really, really positive in that way, not not just for its content, but also to sort of understand the things, the values that had formed our group, which I personally think
0: are beautiful. Thanks. I'm glad you mentioned that because I definitely learned a lot about community, writing community from Betsy. So the next book is Braving the
1: Fire, a guide to writing about grief and loss by Jessica Handler. And this was a book that a member brought to us as a book club suggestion. I remember at the time we were talking about grief in the community. Rachel and I were talking about grief in another podcast, and we thought it would work to use this book as a way of accessing this topic of how to write about hard things, how to write about loss. And uh, this member was very devoted to presenting this book because she had read it several times and had made a huge impact in her writing life. And so it had some really great energy behind it. The author, Jessica Handler, uses her own experiences, her own loss and grief to talk about ways that writers can face their own grief and be able to write about it. And there's some advice from doctors and therapists about sort of the more physiological aspect of grieving. A bit of the framework is around the Kubler-Ross model of five stages of grief and sort of uses those as a sort of these different stages that helps the writer process emotions as they're writing. It's a very caring book. And I would say For memoir writers writing about grief and loss, it's worth looking at if that's something you need support with. But it was a timely pick, but it is pretty memoir specific. And so it didn't have as wide appeal to other writers not writing memoir, basically. I'd say this one is very specific to memoir. And again, that framework of the five stages of grief, personally, I think is a bit limiting because that framework was selected for patients in palliative care, and not necessarily for those who are grieving those who are dead. So I guess just keeping that in mind, but it is kind of an interesting way of looking at the writing process when it comes to grief writing. The next book is In a Flash, Writing and Publishing Dynamic Flash Prose by Melanie Faith. It was published in 2018, and this was a book with lots of prompts lots of quick prompts to go with the flash prose aspect of the book. And um, I remember that there is a flash CNF writer in our group who really was enthusiastic about this book and also brought other examples of flash to us. So that sort of enriched the conversation for us to be looking at flash pieces to look at that writer's flash pieces. Yeah, they remember there are flash examples and writing prompts from other authors too, like there's a Dinty Moore aspect, founder of Brevity. So definitely kind of an exciting, exciting book for those writing Flash, because it's just great to have a whole book devoted to it, uh, to a short form. And again, a book written by a writing teacher who has that experience of spending time in classrooms and trying these things out with their students. And so, again, it has that feeling of like, not just the writer speaking to you but the writer and all their students and like you know it's this really great feeling to to feel like you know other people worked on these prompts you know they worked for other people kind of thing it was a really fun book if you write flash i recommend this book just for the prompts alone it is really fun
0: yeah i think we used some of those prompts in our guided writing sessions as well too and really enjoyed that so the next book we're going to talk about is Meander, Spiral, Explode, Design and Pattern in Narrative by Jane Allison. So I've already been talking about escalating pattern before I'm a pattern fan. I mean, this book also came in in a different way, but similar to Craft in the Real World, it came in in a way that was like, oh, yes, that's what was missing. That's what we needed to understand, that there isn't just one way of telling a story and certainly, that the drawing that we all got in school of the climax, rising action, and then denouement and and you know that map of how a story should arc is not the only way that stories can be told and not the only patterns that stories need to take. And I just really, in particular loved seeing, you know, examples of how, A spiral might work in writing or the idea of a wavelet or a wave first and then the wavelet, like little tiny realizations versus having one solid climax where everything kind of comes together. I've appreciated too because I do some book coaching and I'm working with two clients or recently finished with one and working with another who are definitely not following that traditional arc. And so we have like a language around, okay, maybe what is this? Maybe it's a wavelet then. And so then let's start looking for the pattern and the shape in your narrative there. And also having the freedom to, you know, make their own thing entirely too. But now at least there's something that you can apply to it to kind of understand what is happening in your story and how it's working. I'm a big fan of The Fractal as well. I could really go through all of the different, (laughs) you know, The Meander, The Spiral, The Explode. And when it came out, there was a lot of excitement. This was the very first book we read in Book Club, and it was because we were really excited about it. It was Rowan McCandless, actually, who had first, I think, mentioned it to me, and who is someone who writes in very non-linear narrative form uses different shapes that appear in this book and different ways different modes of telling stories that are very mixed genre as well too so yeah it was just it came in with an explosion in our community in that sense it was like disruptive in the best way
1: yeah three quarters of the book I'd say is devoted to the patterns, so it becomes kind of this like I don't know, comforting frame where you go, OK, we're going to work through each of these patterns alongside this close reading of emigrants. This the novel that W.G. Sebald Emigrants is sort of used as an example to have this close reading to look at these patterns. And so it does have the kind of literary criticism element in a little bit. And there are a lot of authors mentioned throughout. I sort of am remembering as well. Unfortunately, it's been a while since I've read the book. So I'm sort of reaching a little bit. But yeah, it was a very exciting time. And it did launch our book club. And I think thematically, I feel good that we picked a pattern busting book
0: to start off the book club you know yeah because it itself has changed patterns and actually it has been a while because it was the beginning of 2020 that would have been and you're reminding me too that maybe a critique of it was some of the examples just weren't that easy to connect with but it has been nice now to see newer writing coming out and start thinking about whether those shapes apply to the newer writing through those examples. And also, I mean, for me, reading the writers that I'm working with, very fresh work that hasn't been published and getting excited and going, oh oh my gosh, we're working with a wavelet here. Okay, how can we make it more wavelet-y? So the concept is great. And I think it was really important as a book to kind of come in because... Until then, I think a lot of people's experience in workshop and some writing courses too was to kind of force them, shoehorn them into this form that doesn't, you know, the orthodoxy of that is to be questioned.
1: So the next book is called Seven Drafts, Self-Edit Like a Pro from Blank Page to Book by Alison K. Williams. And this is a very practical book. If you are trying to finish your book. That is kind of the claim of the book that you go from sort of blank page to finished book. And it really walks you through these seven drafts of that process from beginning to end with sort of funny or catchy, or even sometimes kind of gross names, like the vomit draft and things like this. So the readers who looked at this book closely Enjoyed breaking down each draft and looking at the book in that way and sort of working through each draft sequentially and comparing it to their own experience of working towards a finished book. So, other members in our community had taken classes with Allison K. Williams, writing classes, workshops, and things. So, they already had a sort of relationship to her style, which is, I would say, pretty fiery and blunt and bold. And so a diversion from say like the more slow writing Louise DeSalvo personal healing aspect is sort of a lot different in tone and approach than that more loving approach. Allison K. Williams is like loving, but like with tasks and with sort of no holds barred, like kind of (laughs) attitude. So I think that's a definite strength that it is so specifically sharp and punchy in that way. Like, if that's kind of what you're looking for, you just want to do the damn thing, then yeah, a lot of writers appreciated that. And then I think, yeah, like going back to being able to disagree or notice differences in writing style was good because people were sort of like, well, I guess I do some version of that draft, but I do it like this. And so it it had us talking about our own writing process as a reaction to these suggestions, which I think is a good thing to notice. Okay, well, I'm a bit like that, but also this is what works for me. So any book that can do that, I think is really positive, make people reflect and react against what's being suggested and think about what works for them and help them, you know, even more specifically define what their process is like. Yeah. And another very practical book we read was The Artful Edit on the Practice of Editing Yourself by Susan Bell. This was the one that used The Great Gatsby as sort of a specific example in terms of the advice in the book. So looking at the editorial relationship between F. Scott Fitzgerald's editor, Max Perkins, and the author to finish the book basically to edit the book. And so again, it's like very practical advice, but it also has this kind of story element because you feel like you're peeking in on this relationship between this author and his editor. And again, like this would be another example is if you hadn't read The Great Gatsby or if you didn't know that novel or the example being used, it can be a little distancing, but I think it had a delightful tone, even though it's very like practical and strategic and sort of talks about discipline of like editing yourself, but in the interest of enhancing your work. So it's got kind of a formulaic tone to it, but it also has sort of a human appeal because you're learning about this relationship between this author and the editor. And it's written by a book editor. So that's also a good feature of it
0: (laughs) yeah it's coming from the right place so the final three books we're going to mention I'm not going to go into too much detail about them but they are more related toward platform building and the business side of writing which we'll talk about what we learned running a book club but we've kind of are starting to move away from that or I mean depends maybe An awesome book on that topic will come out in this context with this, you know, the kind of 2022 clarity and speaking to the times maybe more. Although, I mean, one of them is newer too, so I shouldn't say that they're totally outdated necessarily, but they're not exactly what we're leaning towards right now. That said, the first is The Extroverted Writer, an author's guide to marketing and building a platform by Amanda Louis decade I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that that book was very you know step by step it's of a time though so it's like go through Facebook and Goodreads and LinkedIn Twitter which we know is going through something right now as of this recording I would say it's a good primer for people who just want to get set up but then also some of the things that were true about what writers needed to do in order to, be able to get a agent and book deal are less true now. From what I understand of people being published and people working in the publishing side, that kind of following is less important or those specific kind of online followings. It probably does help a lot, you know, if you have a very big Twitter following, but it doesn't have to be the only thing to do in order to become a writer and I think there's enough of an argument against doing that in, in the way that it contributes to the war of art for the negative side against productivity or not productivity necessarily but against creativity let's say so I guess it's not a critique of this book but that's a critique of the idea of building a platform in a way that I think Is changing. And so it'd be interesting to see what other books come out related to that, or maybe an updated version of this book. As I recall, I guess people did some of the exercises in the book, but that's sort of when we started noticing that people maybe were less excited about platform building. So then the next one is a more contemporary one, and I think really helpful is Before and After the Book Deal, a writer's guide to finishing, publishing, promoting, and surviving your first book by Courtney Mom. What writers in our community most loved about this was point of view, voice. Courtney Mom is a great writer and has a great sense of humor, and that was really helpful. And the information in there is really helpful. I just referenced it maybe a couple of weeks ago when a writer had a question about what kind of blurbs they needed on a book and what, you know, the idea of blurbing a book and what it means. And there's a whole section in that book about that. So any kind of aspect of finishing, publishing, promoting, surviving a first book is covered there. A sense of humor is a great feature of that book. The author
1: is sort of funny and candid and ideas answering questions that you've sort of been too afraid to ask, or if you didn't get an MFA, like, what is all this secret information about breaking through with your first book? And like, how can we demystify that? So yeah, it's like a 2020 book. And I think it's a great read for people in that part of the process.
0: And then finally, is The Business of Being a Writer by Jane Friedman. Jane Friedman also has several articles, like so many articles, I think a lot were what turned into this book. And I think it's a really practical book for understanding how to build a writing career and to approach it in a business-like way. So those were all of the books that we've read in the book club. The whole list of books will be available in the show notes for this episode, so you don't have to write them all down. You'll you'll be able to find them and we'll link to them as well. We're going to spend just a little bit of time talking about what we learned about running a book club, what makes a good craft book club. That's what this is. It's not all craft necessarily, or I kind of feel like it redefines the idea of craft. Actually, I mentioned at the top that two writers I admire critiquing the idea of reading craft books. And one of them was Courtney Mom who wrote the book before and after the book deal. So I assume she wasn't talking about her own book. So would approve that book being on our book club list. What makes a good writer book club maybe, because again, it's not really necessarily craft and what worked well to spark conversations, which in some ways was our goal of you know, helping writers improve their craft, helping improve you know, conversations and connections in our community among writers and sparking new ideas through our collective reading. As the community facilitator, Melly was the host of all of our book club conversation calls and the leader in our online chat communication about the books as well. So we had both live video calls, and chats where we discuss the reading each month?
1: Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is kind of maybe an obvious one, but didn't necessarily occur to us right away, is just the accessibility of the book. So can most of the readers in your group get the book? If it's more recently published, sometimes that can be a good thing because it's easy to find. However, it may not always be in the public library yet if it just came out or if it hasn't been taken note of by the local librarians. And since we're a group that meets online and we have writers in different countries and different time zones, we have to be careful about picking books that are available and accessible, uh, whether that's online and ebook form, audiobook form, physical form. So thinking about that, and it does require a bit of planning as well to say, this is the book we're going to read in this upcoming month and giving people time to get the book so that they don't feel behind from the start. That being said, we also don't require, as we've mentioned, everyone to have read the books. But anyways, it is good to have an idea of what you plan to read and make sure that it's fairly accessible. Also, another obvious point would be, maybe be to read each book before you choose it, or at least have one person read it. So sometimes it was one of us that had read or read most of the book. Sometimes we chose a book because we trusted the author. Sometimes we chose a book because a member brought it forward and they had read the book thoroughly. And so we we went with that. But I think going forward, we are making sure one of us has read the book so that we know what are some of the positive impacts this could have on a community? And it also informs some of the programming theme as well. So just like any programming that you would do, you want to make sure that you're making something that might affect and impact, I guess, as many writers as possible, even if it's not going to be for everyone.
0: Yeah. And for it to be not just a good book about writing, I think we're raising the bar a bit. Again, maybe coming to you know, again, that idea of there's just not enough time. There's a lot of other stuff we could be reading. So we don't want to be reading books that aren't really going to help push things forward or engage and inspire our writers. Another
1: thing we changed partway through the book club is we would read one book a month. I think a lot of book clubs kind of do that. You go, this month's book is. But we decided at some point in the last year to actually read each book over two months rather than one. And this gives people more time to look at the book. Maybe they got the book late, so they're catching up in the second month. It gives more time and space. you know. And then the first conversation, we don't feel like we have to cover everything. We can cover the first half of the book or we can cover the whole book in a sort of more cursory look at things and then go deeper in that second live call and then gives us more time to post about the book in our Slack community, in our Slack channel to keep the conversation going. Another important piece in terms of keeping the conversation going and having momentum is to have a couple of readers that are invested and who are also reading it closely. So I facilitate the group calls, but I also seek out support and excitement from members who are interested in reading the book closely so that they're kind of representing us as a group and sort of going, okay, let's look at this book and sort of reporting back. Although we don't do like formal book reports or anything like that. And we're not necessarily critiquing in a very intense way, but we are kind of trying to say, okay, well, for me, this is what I noticed and this is what you might find helpful. And again, giving people that option of whether they want to invest their time, their resources, their energy into a book in the first place. And I think people appreciate not having the pressure to have read the book. So I used to kind of go around at the beginning of the call and say like, who's read the book or who has the copy of the book or who's thinking about the book. And now I just kind of go into the call and we just talk about it and whoever wants to chime in can chime in. And I notice people will listen in on their lunch break or while they're at work. So there's different levels of engagement. And I think that that actually makes people more engaged when they have an option to tune in with less engagement, but they're still really interested, but they may not have a lot to say. I guess the main point there is just allowing for different levels of engagement with the book, but making sure that you do have a core couple few people who are really interested or invested in doing that close reading for the group.
0: Yeah. And sometimes even the people who haven't read the book, you know, maybe they're listening in or maybe if they're able to engage in this way, we talk about a concept from the book and they can apply that to their own writing and think about it and also get excited and say, oh, I actually am interested in learning more about that. So I am going to read the book. The other thing, actually, I forgot to... Mentioned before when we were talking about slowing down, we also will have a book catch up month too. So we'll read a few books from the past midway through the year. The option was to catch up on any of the books that we read so far this year and discuss them. And people, you know, just have different times and seasons that they go through of busyness and ability to read. And they really wanted to be reading that book, but work was busy that month or something. So they're able to jump back in and we continue on the conversation that we would have had with that book in the past, but we move it forward to this catch-up month. I would say another feature that
1: we've already sort of mentioned, but books with writing prompts in them tend to be really impactful and tend to engage folks who might not have read the whole book, but the option to try out a prompt together or to post a prompt in the Slack channel and say, try this, or again, do it together on a live call can be really interesting and help us think about what is working about that prompt or what does that prompt do for us? So even though we might not necessarily write for half an hour together on that prompt, we kind of look at it and make some notes on it. And then it gives people something to return to later, again, to kind of make time and space for the prompt instead of something like, oh, that would be nice to do, but I might not remember to go back to it. It's been nice to pull out some of the strong prompts that I think will, or we think that will resonate with writers and try those out together and talk about why that might be helpful.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I'm with you where I will read books with writing prompts in them, but you know, I'm not reading them necessarily at a place where I can be, you know, and and now I mentioned I'm sometimes I'm listening to the ebook version of these craft books too. And so I might think, oh yeah. Sorry, the audiobook. (laughs) Sometimes I'm listening to the audiobook version of these craft books. (laughs) And Yeah, I'm just not able to write in the moment, but it is kind of nice to have that external accountability or that group energy to go, okay, yeah, now we're going to work on the prompt together. And in some ways, those books work better collectively than they do individually, certainly for both of us, I guess we're saying. That's the end of the list we had here. Is there anything else that sprung to mind in our conversation about all of the books that we read this year that worked well, Millie? No, I think... (laughs) <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. It's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Books are fun. Writing books are fun. And uh, yeah, it's great good. to be in a group looking at books together and finding value and comparison and reflection and doing that in company
0: is always
1: really enriching for me.
0: I guess maybe to add one other thing, it's accumulation of what we said too, but it's like thinking about, why you're reading those craft books, and if it's to help you with a specific challenge in your writing, to help you generate new writing, to help you feel not alone. You know, the book that we're currently reading is really great for that. Never say you can't survive by Charlie Jane Anders, and then also, you know, the other thing is to read, as Melly mentioned at the top, to read books that you enjoy that are in the genre that you're writing in to kind of look at how the craft works. So not just reading specific books for craft tips, but reading other books for that as well.
1: Yeah, Um, I think a feature that we kind of mentioned earlier, but I guess I would like to add to this list about running a book club and how to choose books in terms of books that resonate with people writing across multiple genres. So I think that Again, it's nice when they're specific. Or this is a book about writing fiction, or craft in the real world is about workshopping fiction. But when that specificity also applies to other types of writing, I think that's a really great feature. It doesn't have to do that, but when you're in a group of writers who write different things, it's really great. When again, I mentioned that experience yesterday when a CNF writer specifically said, "Oh, I can see how these." Fiction generating exercises really helped me in my writing. And that's what I love to see is when people can kind of take off that restrictive feeling and go, oh, actually, I can learn something from this. And now I'm excited to return to my work. So, any books that make you feel excited to return to the writing, I think, you know, noticing how you feel after you read something is really important rather than just kind of going, oh, yes, I must trust this book. This is the book. I will follow this book, you know, kind of by rote, Noticing how a book and an author makes you feel and how it feels to discuss that book in company, I think is really important.
0: And putting it down if it doesn't feel great. (laughs) Throwing Um, it across the room is also an option. (laughs) What's next for our book club? What are you looking forward to in the future of book club? We're going to... I guess, bring our book club concept a little bit back into the garage. We're in that end of year kind of evaluative mood and we haven't done that evaluation yet. So I'm kind of putting Nellie on the spot here, but I'm asking us both this question. So maybe I can go first with just one, which is you probably noticed that the reading list is, you know, the fiction books did apply to other genres and certainly Betsy Worland's book on revision is for narrative, including narrative poetry But we didn't have a lot of poetry-heavy books, so there's definitely, I think, a desire among our poets, especially, but I think among other writers in the community who want to look more at poetry and writing lyric prose to find some poetry-focused books. So I know several that I've read over the years, but I want to look at what else is out there as well before we bring that to book club. Yes, poetry book
1: for sure. And I think, again, that's something that we can all learn from. If poets are the voices and the sort of, I don't know, original writers or something, uh, (laughs) I think we could look at poetry books. Yeah, there's a few titles I'm excited to look at and read to see if they might work for the group. And I always appreciate reader suggestions, people that have found a book that works for them. But again, I guess one thing to note is sometimes you do have to say that, you know, maybe this book isn't for the group. So that does kind of put a bit of responsibility on us at choosing books that might appeal to our group as a whole.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking about books with me in our book club today, Melly. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So that was my conversation with community facilitator, Melly Walker. Remember that all of the books we discussed from our book club are up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 62, because this is episode number 62. And I'm so happy just thinking about our conversation and what we uncovered together, that our book club really operates with the idea that we don't need a prescription for how to write We rebuff any edicts on what every writer should or shouldn't do, and our bent is toward vulnerable, open, affirming books for writers that help us refine our practices and feel like we're getting support and wisdom from the authors. Real wisdom. So having listened to how we approach craft—I hope you hear those scare quotes around that word craft—in Books for Writers, I encourage you to reflect on how you might use your precious reading time as a writer. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. And when you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters sent weekly, though that has been part of my imperfectionism in this autumn moving into winter. But I am back to sending these notes filled with support for your writing practice on the regular If this episode encouraged you to read any of the 17 books on our list because you were intrigued by our takes on them, please get in touch about this. I'm at hello at rachelthompson.co and I love to hear from you. And maybe are there any books that you'd recommend to our craft book club? I'd also love to hear about those in particular, any books on poetry. Just remember our key is book accessibility and general openness rather than sort of a closed, narrow version of what writers should or shouldn't do. Again, you can always reach me by email at hello at rachelthompson.co. And yes, I'm giving out email addresses because I'm still off social media and I'm really happy that I didn't spend any of 2022 building a Twitter profile or following. And I'm cringing for those who did as I say this. Sorry, lovely writers. I know it was also a good connecting resource for our community up until now. So I hope we find other ways to connect online. Speaking of online community, this is a reminder that you can sign up in November for the Writerly Love community and get locked in for our current monthly rates that are going up in December. And membership will be open now year-round. The Writerly Love community is a warm, inclusive, and supportive space for creative writers to get together, learn about writing, build connections, and grow a luminous writing career. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. And finally, I say this every episode, but I would really love your help this time if you have a moment to tell other Luminous writers about the podcast. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at racheltompson.co slash podcast, or just tell them to search for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. You might not be tweeting about it right now, so send them an email with a link to an episode you found particularly helpful, and that would be so lovely. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to keep writing luminously and reading whatever sparks your creativity. Millie Walker spoke to me from unceded Wasaynek territories, also known as the Saanich Peninsula on the Salish Sea, and I am in the South Sinai, Egypt, on lands historically and presently occupied not by the El Tirabin Bedouin, as you heard me say probably many times before, as this community historically and currently inhabits the region further north from where I am. The lands I am on are... El Muzina territory and the fact that it took me a while to know this shows the work I need to do to build relationships and understand more about the lands I occupy. So maybe you are similar to me and you want to do some similar research. You might start online with sites like native-land.ca or by talking to people in your community as I did to educate myself further. And a reminder that I offer these land acknowledgements as a settler Canadian and in order to remind us of the connections Indigenous peoples still have to many lands occupied by settlers and all of our responsibility to honour these connections and support true reconciliation and repair.